back to iProperty Radio with myself, Carol Tallon. You can contact us on social media at iProperty Radio or by email, hello at iPropertyRadio.com. In the PropTech hot seat today are Marcus Ginn and James Shaw of eDozo. So, uh, gentlemen, you're both very welcome. Marcus, you might just tell us a little bit about eDozo. Oh, hi. Uh, nice to be here, Carol. Thank you very much for having us on the show. Uh, so, eDozo, we're a software platform for the commercial property sector. Uh, three co-founders, including James, who's on the call, and Andrew. James and Andrew are both chartered surveyors. And really, we, we founded the company about five years ago because we felt that the industry needed better tools, data, software to make the valuation of commercial property a faster, more accurate process. Um, you know, in terms of the tools and the data, that's a conversation that's been going on for the past 10 years. And the industry was slow to recognize maybe some of the value in this. Obviously, that's changed in the last number of years. But given that two of your founding team are coming from a chartered surveying background, you know, when you came to, to launch the business, where were the main points of resistance? Resistance? So do you, do you mean to what extent were commercial property professionals keen to adopt new technology or not? Exactly. Well, actually, I think we started the business at the perfect time because they were already using property technology. So prop tech's a phrase that's gained traction in, over the last few years. But the, the products that we compete against head on have been around for 20 years. What they wanted was new, better, faster, more flexibly priced, more accurate software that would enable them to do their jobs better. So it wasn't about taking them from no digital agenda to a to a, a to a, a digital agenda it was just about evolving and improving really um there's a great value in that because i we would have assisted um early stage startups where they were the first digital offering coming in to the to the industry particularly on the residential side and on agency side and that was a really hard sell um but actually one of the challenges and i'd be interested to hear the experience of yourselves there that um one thing about a traditional industry is even when it's embracing technology, uh, trust is such a huge factor. The one we know is the one we trust. So actually, it's not necessarily the most innovative or even the best platform that wins out. It's the one that's trusted to integrate well with current systems. Um, the one that's uh, that's a proven entity, even if it's not the most innovative. How do you, uh, and actually the challenger conversation around PropTech um, particularly on the agency side, is only starting now because we've only really had the first iteration and we're only getting into the next iteration. So coming in as a challenger to a trusted name for your clients, how do you, how do you position yourselves there? Well, well James will be able to add more to this because he's, um, he's really client-facing. But I would just say that starting the business with two Emmerich surveyors in the founding team gave us real uh, credibility with our customers. And then we were fortunate enough to develop our first product, Dozo Maps, um, and have it taken up by some leading brands in the industry. So being able to go to the rest of the market saying JLL, CBRE and others prefer this product and trust this product, uh, that gave us a lot of credibility and helped us to win trust with others. James, what did it feel like for you? Yeah, I'd, I'd agree with that. I think having people who'd been in the industry and understood the, the unique problems that we're having um, really, really helped. But also it was it was all about the early partners, the, the support that we got from uh, in the early days. Uh, companies like Allsop, for example, um, were, were, were fundamental because, as Marcus said, um, 
to say that you've got people like that using your software was was a catalyst and, and um it, there's a bit of a, a dare i say a herd mentality and say oh if they're using it then it must be good so it will use it too so look that was hard one and it took time um you know it what it didn't happen instantly but we proved value over time and uh, and and grew grew incrementally from there and subsequently we've got um yeah some of the biggest names of the industry using the system very good. You you call it the the uh, herd mentality. I like to think of it as the wisdom of crowds. But trust <laughs> trust is still a really important factor. So look, um, apologies, I jumped ahead. Um, let's go back and just tell the audience actually about the products and services that you offer. Yeah, sure. So so look, we've we've got three main solutions. So so Edozo Maps is is our first one, um, and Edozo Maps makes it easier and, and importantly quicker to produce title boundary plans for value as an agents. We are linked to the UK land registry. So we automate freehold title boundaries in a single click. Uh, whereas previously these were manually drawn and time consuming to produce. So these are used in reports and brochures, uh, for example. Um, we've recently this year extended our offering uh, to include two new, new solutions. So Dozo occupiers is one of them. Um, and this is the UK's first and only cross sector occupier plan. Uh, we map retail, industrial, leisure, and office occupiers across about 6,000 locations. Um, specifically, these are used to identify tenants on say a high street or industrial estate. And these maps are inserted into listings, brochures, or reports. So yeah, so an occupier map, for those who don't know, so it, it kind of gives you access to a visual representation of a tenant mix uh, in a given location. So you can identify covenant strength or any competing or, or complementary businesses that might uh, uh, surround the property. And then we've got, yeah, I'm sorry. Oh, sorry, just, just to come in on that, I mean, in terms of the occupier map, obviously we're seeing commercial property trends change so much in the last three years. I would argue that they've probably changed more over the last five, six, seven years than they have over the maybe three, four, five decades before that. Um, how does the occupier map feed into that, kind of taking account of, um, trends that that we're also seeing do you integrate yeah sure so um so look uh we we aggregate digital data sets um to and put them on a map typically this was done all manually by researchers with with, with clipboards um we're taking a very uh a new approach where we're aggregating various digital data sets the accuracy and how up-to-date that data is, is, is something that's, that's really important to us. And we've got some clever ways that, that, that we are making sure it's all up-to-date. And look, there, there are some, some emerging, uh, should I say, professional asset classes such as buy-to-rent and other, um, which are classified as commercial and increasingly we'll be adding that sort of data to our map as well. Okay, that's a really interesting one. Are you able to share, and I appreciate that at the moment you're across kind of England, Scotland and Wales, with an eye to the Irish market. Um, but can you share any trends that have emerged over maybe the last uh, two years? Because obviously COVID has, um, there's been so much speculation about what might happen. We still are not far enough out the other side to be able to fully reflect on that. But I suppose in real time, are you able to see any trends emerging? Yeah, so um, I'll tie this into just our, our, our third product, because I think this is the thing that gives us the most insight. Um, so our third product is called Edozo Insight, and it's a comparable research platform. So it gives access to unique comparable research data across the UK and hopefully in the future Ireland. And, and we'd like to uh, chat to various stakeholders about that. Um, so this is just for clarity, sale and lease transactions for commercial asset classes. Um, now, 
Now, look, over the last couple of years, there's been, I mean, there's, there's been a couple of, of dynamics probably quite well known to your audience. So, so there's been a sharp increase in the value of industrial logistics assets, as well as the, the amount of industrial logistics transactions. So we've seen a lot more of those in our system. There's also um, you know, higher vacancy rates across office and, and, uh, and retail, uh, especially in secondary locations, but these are bouncing back quite well. Um, and then you know, increased demand for more flexible lease terms. So we're seeing shorter lease lengths and those things. So all, all the things you'd probably expect from, um, from reading the press over the, uh, over the pandemic about the commercial property market. Okay, and who are your clients then? Uh, because obviously we can see how this would be a value to the market, but also in terms of those financing the market. So where's your pr primary client base? Yeah, so, so our, our primary client base is, is the valuers and, and professional consultants at the likes of you know, CBRI, GL, JLL, and, uh, and multiple others. Um, but then also increasingly investors, uh, developers, and architects, all of whom interested in, in, in the same or similar type of data. Yeah, I, I can see across, um, particularly across the data there, there's just two things I want to touch on with you. The first um, is about e-conveyancing, and then we might just come back to placemaking, because obviously the, the um, data has really steered placemaking in a direction that I think urban planners were trying to lead us over the past number of decades, and for some reason it's taken um, the insights from this data to, to move us in that direction. But let's just go to e-conveyancing e and digital conveyancing first. I mean, in Ireland, it's been a bit of a bugbear. Our law society here has had the same um, e-conveyancing committee for about 22, 23 years. Um, the progress has been slow and, um, you know, so things are not ideal. Whereas when I hear about the Edozo uh, maps and the, the capability there, are you feeding into a faster and a more streamlined conveyancing process? Yeah, so so look, we our, our system in, you know it helps to improve the liquidity of commercial real estate. Um, the the way we do this is giving our customers better access to the information or quicker access to the information, so they can make better informed decisions and, and turn the transaction around quicker. Um, I think on, on the e conveyancing side. I do believe, I don't know too much detail about it, but I think our own law commission very, uh, recently um, um, came up with something around e-signatures and how that's going to change the industry. Adoption has been very slow in the commercial property industry for, for e-signatures and the likes. Um, there is a conversation around how the blockchain is enabling this. Um, and I think uh, uh, Neil Singer from uh, in the UK is, is real, really championing this with the Law Society in the UK um, to create, uh, uh, or to, to, I suppose, encourage the, the adoption of, of e-signatures in, in, in these transactions. So, so yeah, so providers like us help to improve liquidity of the asset in a different way, but it's all towards this drive of, of making sure that the transactions happen happen quicker it still takes far too long to transact or for a property to complete or exchange in the uk and a lot of that has to do with with, with process not being digital or, or just very inefficient yeah unfortunately that's very familiar to us in the irish market as well and um, marcus the pandemic over the past two years because obviously um idozo is still quite new i mean you're you're past kind of the initial startup stage so you're you're definitely in scaling mode um but the pandemic obviously was such a, a seismic shift that any organization of any size or any uh, really tenure in the market was affected. How did it affect yourselves? Uh, well, in the immediate uh, weeks and couple of months following lockdown, um, I, I think the whole industry was 
gathering itself and working out how to proceed. So we had to move fully to remote working, which we did very, very, very effortlessly, actually, as did our clients. But quite quickly, we realized that our services were going to be more in demand, not less. So uh, our clients wanted uh, easy to use cloud-based technologies that they could use to share information amongst themselves and that would improve their efficiency um, uh, whilst when they're working from home or now they're returning to the office. So uh, actually, I think the, the changes that happened during the COVID pandemic were positive for a day so, and in some ways accelerated new ways of working that we've benefited from. Yeah, to be honest, that doesn't surprise me to hear. It's one of the things, it's one of the key themes that we've, we've seen emerging. Um, but in terms of your data, and particularly over the period of the pandem pandemic, where, you know, there's so much uncertainty and uncertainty still remains. I mean, Jane's just touched on there um, about vacancy rates across retail and office. And there's such a, a conversation about the changing role that offices and workplaces will play in the future. Are your, are your uh, I suppose, is the data you're generating able to give any insight into that? Yeah, oh, absolutely. As, as James was saying, um, uh, our occupier data um, gives a pretty much real-time information about vacancy rates and change in tenants, tenant mix on high streets and other locations such as industrial estates. Uh, and then our comparable data is providing, again, real-time information about changes in valuation. Um, so we, we, we can see from the numbers on our platform the explosion in the price of uh, well-situated logistics assets over the last 18 months. That's just one example. And when we look at the insights gathered from the data, we're doing this with a view to not necessarily forecast the market, but try to look ahead. You know, again, like a, a sporting analogy, you want to kind of look to where the ball is likely to land, yeah. not where it is right now. Um, are you able to give any kind of forward looking expectations then of the marketplace, you know, even across the UK right now? Well, James is the end Ricks, um, and I'll let him come on this, but, but what our customers generally want to do is understand what's happened historically in the market as accurately as possible and with as recent information as can be provided. It's, it's then down to the professionals that we work with, whether they be valuers, investment agents or other, to use that information to decide what they think may happen in the future. It, it's really down to our clients rather than ourselves to project what will happen going forward, but we can give them really great tools and information to understand what's happened recently. James, would you like to add to that, someone that worked as an investment agent? Yeah, and I th yes. Um, so I think when advising a, a client on their future location, you need to take into account uh, you know, recent trends. Uh, you know, the, the last 12 months, what's been happening in a certain area, both in terms of tenant mix, who's been moving in, and, and who's around there so for you know, are they going to compete or complement your business um and then and then and then also you know has there been any growth what's happening uh, in, in in the local area in terms in terms of the market so those things help to inform a, a future decision about where someone would be uh, located um and um and you know on the on the valuation side so if you're an investor uh, or, or lender for example they'd also be interested in the same thing where's where's there been rental growth so we can forecast the future returns on, on our on our assets or, or investments very good and um, now while before we wrap up today um you know whenever we speak to early stage companies 
I always like to understand a little bit about how you've gotten to the point of market traction that you have, because I feel that's really something that's helpful for other startups who are maybe in a similar stage or perhaps an earlier stage or trying to, to get into the market. Because actually, I, and I appreciate that it's changed over the past number of years, but traditionally, um, real estate was a pretty tough um, nut to crack actually for technology providers coming in and I think you made a very good point at the start of the interview there that you know you weren't coming in as a first point of digital you were improving on maybe current systems um, which certainly is an advantage but I'm interested when you talked about um, in recent in recent times your offering has extended in response to the market and that's to me is a real hallmark of success in an early stage company. And it's usually the tipping point that gets you from startup into scaling mode when what you've been offering to the industry has been accepted, but then you learn from your customers and you, and you almost tailor the services. So maybe just talk us a little bit through the transition of the company from listening to your customers to introducing new products. Sure. Well, as I say, again, it always helped that our co my co-founders were Emmerich surveyors. So we're always, as a starting point, saying, what was your experience when you were valuing or, or, or trading property? Uh, but then we, we, we focused on providing real value as quickly as possible to real customers. I think some companies get a bit lost with uh, black box R&D and forget about the customer. Uh, and the market said they wanted easier to use, faster, more accurate title boundary mapping. So I think the success of our first product was actually down to its simplicity. It was deliberately engineered to look and feel as simple as possible. And then having won their trust and evolved that product, it took a good couple of years then to further invest in that product to cater for what everyone needed from it. We were able over that period of time to ask, and what next do you need us to do for you? What are your other problems? And it was clear that they needed better, broader occupier data across the UK, and across all asset classes. They didn't have the right access to that. And it was clear they needed different types of, uh, of comparable evidence as well. So we, we like to think we're always talking to our customers, we're always learning, and anything new that we do is in direct response to what they've asked for. And um, you know, sometimes the simple things are just the most clear. And I love that you articulate that it's about offering real value to real customers because, and I'm sure you remember from the early stages of startups, so much of it is theoretical, so many assumptions are made that actually when you get to the point that you're offering real value to real customers, there's actually real learning for both sides in that as well. Um, is the company funded at the stage or are you bootstrapping? Uh, no, we, going back sort of five years ago, we were founder funded, but then, um, as we started to scale, we were lucky enough to win strong uh, venture capital support. Um, we'll, we'll raise more venture capital uh, over the next year, 18 months, as we continue to invest in the products and grow our team so we can really serve our customers as best as possible. Can I take it from that, that you're on a fundraising mission no, we're right not, now? No, 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 we're fully funded, but as we seek to expand our product offering further and grow our custom support teams, et cetera, that there'll be a role for further funding in the future. Um, you mentioned that you are keeping an eye towards the Irish market, but in terms of um, expanding the, the geographical offering, you know, what markets are you looking at next? Look, we're really focused on our domestic market because we think there's, some, there's, there's, a, there's lots of scope for us to solve problems for the customers we're already working with. 
but it makes sense that if we're serving England, Scotland and Wales, we should go and deliver the same value in Northern Ireland. And then the Republic being so close to us and having such similar characteristics to the UK property market, it really feels like that should be the first place outside the UK that we look to try and add value. Yeah, importantly, Carol, our, our clients all have a foothold, or our, our major clients all have a foothold in, in, in the Republic and Northern Ireland as well. So, um, you know, for, from their side, there is demand for our services there as well. So um, it would be, uh, it'd be a nice thing for us to get uh, to know that market a lot better. Yeah, and actually that's one of the interesting things. Uh, thank you, James, because what Marcus was saying, Marcus was saying about uh, similar characteristics, I was thinking there's very similar players as well. There's a lot of familiar names there, but actually I think that's going to become even greater when you're uh, working maybe directly with uh, funding companies, because obviously we see that um, unlike maybe real estate, capital has doesn't have the same geographic boundaries. Um, yeah. So we're, we're seeing that flow of capital. Um, so before we wrap up today, um, any words of advice maybe for uh, for software developers or for prop tech innovators who are just trying to access and target and break into the commercial marketplace now? Right, crikey. Um, well, I, I think patience is required when you're building any business. Um, there, there are lots. There were there were there was a flurry of startups. Uh, around about the time Idezo came to prominence a few years ago, most of which don't exist. So you've got to have staying power. Um, but then I would come back to what we were discussing a few minutes ago and relentless focus on whether you're solving an actual problem for real customers or not. Um, so I don't think a theoretical offering works. I think you, the faster you can get something into the hands of a customer and receive feedback from them that you've solved a problem, the better. Yeah, great advice. James, have you any final words of wisdom for startups who might be in that position or a few years behind you? Yeah, absolutely. I, I think uh, to, to expand what Marcus says, get in front of as many people as you can as quickly as possible and get that feedback because, because that is gold. You can have a vision in your mind, but it, once, it, uh, once it's in the hands of a potential customer, you really get to know if, if, if you're onto the right things. So, so I would say no matter how early you are, um, don't be afraid of your product, even if it's at an earlier stage in beta. Take it to your customers, get their feedback, get their iterations, and, and ask them if, 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 you're, if you're aiming in the right direction, and it can save you a whole lot of heartache in the future and, uh, and move you along quicker. That's some great advice. Um, best of luck to the team there as you continue to scale. That with Marcus Ginn and James Shaw from Ajozo. And that's it from the Property Hot Seat today. You can get in touch with the show on social media at iProperty Radio or email hello at iPropertyRadio.com. My thanks to the Hear Me Roar production team and to Luke Delaney on sound for Dublin South FM. That's it from us. Until next time, thank you for listening.